I have a one-point sermon. Not that I prepared the sermon after I wrote the poem in order to keep it short. The sermon was prepared first, and I slashed two-thirds of it. So if you want to see the whole thing, you have to get the manuscript. In fact, I might just bring it in later on sometime because it relates to other things in Hebrews. Now, what I want to do is kind of add a footnote to last Sunday's message. Let me direct your attention not to the whole text that's cited, but rather perhaps verses 10 and 11, which we focused on last Sunday. Let me give you the context here. He's describing... Christ as our mediator, mediator between us and God, and he says he's mediating, in verse 6, a better covenant. And the better covenant is the new covenant founded on better promises. And those promises are described for us in verse 10 and 11 and 12. But we didn't look at verse 12 last week. And so that's the one point this morning. But let's review for just a moment. Verse 10. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them upon their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. They'll not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all of them will know me from the least to the greatest of them. Now, that's where we stopped last week. And now, notice that verse 12 begins with for or because. It does in the Old Testament Hebrew. It does in the New Testament Greek. And it does in a good English translation. For or because, in other words, these promises of writing the law on your heart and being your God and having you know me personally are based upon, here's the reason, here's the ground, here's why that can be so. For I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, my heart's desire is that the Holy Spirit would come and write verse 12 upon our hearts now. I can speak it with words for physical ears. Most people in this room can read it from black marks off a white page. It could be written on leaves or etched in stone. But Lord, my heart's desire is that this service and this message and this moment would be an occasion for the supernatural, internal work of the Holy Spirit, whereby verse 10 becomes true for us right now. And verse 12 is written on our hearts. Would you come and do that, Lord? 
If you would write this verse upon our hearts, what a people we would be. If we believed this, if we felt this to the bottom of our toes and the top of our head and to the deep, deep, deep part of our soul and person, that you have mercy upon our iniquities and do not remember our sins. What a people we would be. Oh God, release us, I pray, to enjoy the liberty of the Christian, the mighty courage and boldness and freedom from murmuring and anxiety and bitterness and resentment that comes from believing with Holy Spirit wrought faith. Verse 12. Do it now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what can we say about this verse? Let me summarize. Let me summarize for you the last two Sundays. Put the context together. Two Sundays ago, I said, based on verse 5, the Old Testament priesthood, tabernacle, temple, sacrifices, priests, dietary laws, are all shadows and copies of heavenly reality. But at Christmas time, the reality steps forward into view and Christ becomes the high priest. He becomes the place of focus for worship. He takes the place and we feed on him. He's the reality. So the first meaning of Christmas, I said, was shadows are replaced by reality. Christ. That's two Sundays ago. Last Sunday, we moved into this text, especially verse 10 and 11, where it talks about the writing of the law upon the heart. And I said that if God only sets Christ before us as the glorious, objective, shadow-replacing reality and leaves us in our deadness, it won't do any good. In fact, it will probably harm us because we in our fleshly religiosity will find a way to turn that into a religion we can manage on our own. So what we desperately need alongside the reality outside us, Jesus Christ, is something to make that reality real in here. And that was last Sunday. Let's just make sure we get this. Look at verse 10. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them upon their hearts. This morning as we were praying before the first service downstairs, it was brought to our minds that uh, Christ often speaks words like, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Or, 
If you have eyes to see, see. And the implication is you either have one pair of ears that are physical or you have two pairs of ears, one physical and one spiritual. And if you don't have a spiritual set of ears and a spiritual set of eyes, you will hear with these ears and see with these eyes and be blind and deaf. That's the meaning. It just runs all through the New Testament. You remember Paul in in Ephesians 1, he said, May the eyes of your heart, what eye is that? May the eyes of your heart be enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which you're called. Now, that is a transaction transcending learning off a page with your brain that there is a sentence in the Bible that says there is hope. That's another thing altogether. You move from words on a page processed by a carnal mind to words and reality written on the heart, which is a function of the spirit of the living God. That's what makes a Christian. Christianity is not a religion that is manageable by human beings. If you can manage it, it ain't Christianity. There has to be a heart surgery or a penetration. Paul and Ezekiel say the heart of stone's got to come out. The fleshy, live, supple, sensitive heart is created and God writes his love and his will on the heart, which means it goes inside and no longer do you feel you're living your life constrained by laws from the outside pushing you where you don't want to go. Rather, there is living power from inside, wrought by the Spirit, written on the heart, and you love what God loves. Now, that was last week. Those two things. Two weeks ago, the reality that replaces the shadows is Christ. Objective, outside ourselves. And last week, we have to have the fulfillment of the new covenant promise for that reality to become real to us. Something's got to happen in here so that I see him for who he is and love him and trust him and treasure him and savor his will. And God does that by a miracle called the new covenant. And all I want to say today is, and it is massively important, although short, is that God is willing to do those two things Because of the death of Jesus. Enabling him in his justice to send his son and work the new covenant. Yes, I believe the sending of the son is enabled by the death of the son. God foresaw the blood shedding of his son He foresaw the covering of the sins of all his people. He foresaw condemnation removed. He foresaw guilt removed. He foresaw shame removed. And because of that, his wrath was removed 
And he was free, both in justice and in mercy, to move on us and save us. And so this verse 12, where it says, for, in other words, I will put my law within you, and I will be your God, and I will work so that you will know me. I'll do it for I will be merciful to your iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Now we know from all over the book of Hebrews what that's talking about. Like chapter 9 verse 28 where it says he bore, Christ bore the sins of many. So the third thing to say about Christmas now is that when he came, innocent high priest and Passover sacrifice, he offered himself up so that he might bear the sins of his people, so that God might look a sinful people in the face and say, I have mercy upon your sins, and I do not remember your iniquities anymore. How can a God say that to sinners? I sin every day. I don't think there's a thing I do that isn't tinged with sin. I don't know if you feel that way. The reason I feel that way is because the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, which means my every act is measured by perfect love for God. And I'll tell you, it ain't there. So everything I do is sinful. Okay, that's the situation. Now, how in the world is a holy, just God who has a tremendous zeal for exalting his glory, going to do anything good to me. Not to mention, give me a Christmas present like Christ and a Christmas present like the new covenant, making me fall in love with Christ. Why would he do that? How can he do that and be just? And the answer is, is mercy... And his forgetfulness is based on the priestly work of Jesus by which a perfect sacrifice was made for every sin and every sinfulness of every good deed that John Piper has ever done or ever will do was made once for all in the bloodshedding of Jesus That's awesome. If we believed that, we would be the freest, most joyful people on the face of the earth. So let me sum it up for you, and we'll pray. Three Christmas presents. The greatest possible. I really challenge you to conceive of anything greater than these three gifts. Number one. Christ himself, we're talking the Son of God, 
put forward objectively into history, clothed with human flesh, in order that we humans might know him, love him, relate to him, delight in him, and grow forever and ever and ever in our satisfaction in him. That's gift number one. Gift number two is a subjective assistance, a miraculous working inside of me so that I love this gift. It's, a, it's as though, picture yourself on Wednesday now, you, you buy a special gift for your child, and he unwraps it, and you can see on his face, he doesn't like it. <laughs> and you're just crestfallen. I mean, you just feel rotten. He doesn't like the gift. That's exactly the situation God would be in, except for the new covenant. So gift number two, and you can't do this as a parent, sorry. Gift number two is God looks on our rebellion against Christ and changes it. He writes the law, not any longer on stone, pressing us into obedience, but on the heart, freeing us to love the gift when we hear it proclaimed. The sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And gift number three is underneath it all, namely the death of Jesus. How could he give me that first gift, Christ? How could he, could he give me a sinner that second gift of regeneration and the law written on my heart? And the answer is because he took all my sin and he put it on his son and he crucified it and condemned it and turns to me and says, I have mercy on your iniquities. And I remember no more your sins. One last comment. If you struggle with how a holy, infinite God can forget, so do I. And what I think that means is this. My sins and your sins as a believer will never, ever, ever again come into God's mind as a ground for condemnation. If there is a way that an infinite God must always know all that is, and thus must be aware of things that happened in the past and the future, then there is a sense in which he does not forget them. But there is a sense in which he does forget them, because that's written right here. He will remember, remember them no more. And my interpretation is they will never Enter his mind as a ground of condemnation. Let's pray. Father, I ask again now that for every person in this room, the Holy Spirit would move. If you're right now sensing a desire to know that this is true for you, and you feel some measure of longing, and some measure of delight in this gospel, this good news. God's at work in you. Yield, relent, and welcome. Invite. 
Father, I pray that you would finish the good work that you've begun in hundreds in this room right now. And make this Christmas the best ever, the sweetest, deepest, strongest, faith-filled, hope-filled, worship-filled, love-filled celebration of these three gifts that we have ever known. Dismiss us now, I pray, with your Christmas blessing as you have so wonderfully done in Christ. And all the people said, Amen.